Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read most of the chapter, verses, uh, actually the entire chapter, I should say. Uh, but our focus is going to be on verses 12 to 19. Verses 12 to 19. The entirety of that passage is found in your worship folder, so please follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 4. This is God's holy word. Let's listen attentively to it. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oral cooks of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now the passage we're going to focus on this morning together. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here we're going to end our reading of God's holy word this morning. Well, dear congregation, I think it's safe to assume that very few of you enjoy or anticipate making a trip to the family dentist. In fact, if, unless you are a dentist by profession, you probably try to spend as little time there as possible. Uh, there was once a nervous dental patient who came into the office and he told the receptionist 
that he was there to make an appointment with the dentist. And she responded, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, he's out right now, but oh, thank you, the nervous patient replied. Please tell me, when will he be out of the office again? <laughs> you see, he'd gotten used to coming in and trying to make appointments when he knew the doctor was out, so therefore he never had to go to the dentist. Well, that's painful enough, but we, what might be even more painful than going to the dentist yourself is sending your beloved little girl to the dentist for the first time for her first tooth pull. And likely many of you as parents have experienced something like this, and you prepare your little girl as best you can. You assure her there's not going to be very much pain. Uh, like good parents, you try to safeguard her from any worry, any anxiety about this upcoming surgery. Maybe you promise her that she'll have all sorts of goodies when she gets home, uh, jello and pudding and ice cream and endless hours of cartoons. If she's a big girl for the dentist, everything is going to be just fine, you promise her. But after the surgery, your little girl is miserable. And she waddles into the uh, waiting room, white as a sheet, and she's experiencing, for the first time in her life, a very new and unfamiliar kind of pain. And she's upset with you. She's upset with you because this appointment and all the pain that has come along with it is not what she was expecting. Your young little daughter is surprised by her pain. She wasn't prepared. She wasn't expecting this. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, have you ever been surprised? Have you ever been shocked when suffering and pain entered into your lives? Oftentimes, that kind of surprise, that kind of uncertainty, or anxiety when, when suffering arises in our lives comes because we haven't listened as carefully as we should to what the scriptures tell us about the matter of suffering in the Christian life. If you've read 1 Peter, you know that the theme of suffering uh, is found throughout this epistle to the, the Christian church. We read it at first in chapter 1, where Peter reminds his Christian audience that they have been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of their faith. And Peter picks up this theme of suffering once again in chapter 3, and he carries it into chapter 4 in our passage today. And if there's one central theme, one central message that the Lord would hear, have us hear from this passage this morning, it's this, that when we suffer as Christians, we participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ so that we might share in his Lord. So as we're going to see, Peter is going to go on to, to teach us that, that suffering shouldn't surprise us as believers. Rather, we should expect it. In fact, suffering should be familiar to all of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Suffering, of course, is difficult, extremely difficult. And our, our passage this morning addresses the fear it addresses the anxiety and, and the doubt that suffering brings, and it answers the question, how should we respond? How should we respond when trials and suffering enter our lives? We're going to look at that this morning. But before we do that, very briefly, there's another question we have to account for, and that is this. What counts as suffering, after all? What counts as suffering in the Christian life? 
Some of you may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting along in age and I have aches and I have pains. I, I have a, a bad back, perhaps. Uh, the economy is difficult right now. My, my business isn't doing as well as it usually is. You might say I have a, a few children, grandchildren who don't know the Lord. We're living in sin. And it grieves me terribly. Do those painful experiences count as suffering? Well, I think there's at least two elements of suffering that we should recognize from our passage today. We're going to see that, that mainly the Apostle Peter is offering comfort to Christians who are being insulted, who are being maligned for bearing the name of Jesus Christ. They are, are suffering as Christians because they serve the Christ who has been rejected by the society around them. And we're going to see this morning that, that, that we as well should expect that kind of suffering for the name of Christ in our own age. But there's another aspect to Christian suffering that I think it's helpful for us to notice. And that's this, that, that anywhere and in any way that you and I endure the painful effects of sin in this world, that's a form of suffering. Because, of course, it was on account of sin, it was on account of evil, that Christ himself came to suffer and die on the cross. As we're going to see this morning, as believers, as Christians, we are taken up into the sufferings of Christ because we are united to him by faith. And that means that wherever you battle Satan, wherever you battle his allies, wherever you encounter death and evil and tragedy and unbelief in your life, you suffer as a Christian for Jesus Christ. Getting back to our original question now, how should we press on under suffering in order to participate in Christ's sufferings and also to participate in his glory? First, with joy, but not surprise in suffering. With joy, but not surprise in suffering. In this passage, our word comes to comfort his saints in the midst of their trials, and he sets before them his first lesson for those who are suffering. And he says, you should not be surprised by suffering. Look at me at verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter essentially says to the saints, it's God's will and his mysterious sovereign will. It is his will for you to suffer. And so you should not be surprised. Peter says to the Christians, a fiery trial is coming upon you to test you, and there are more extreme trials that are still to come. But there's a point. There's a purpose to their suffering. It's to cleanse them. It's to purify them, to consecrate them, to give discipline for their faith and for their life. And so Peter teaches them here, just as he did some chapters earlier in chapter 1, that just as gold, the precious metal, is refined, purified by fire, so also their faith is tested, it's purified through suffering. As you know, brothers and sisters, we live among all kinds of people who try to avoid suffering and pain and trial at any cost. 
our world doesn't see the purpose of suffering at all. And sadly, that kind of unbiblical thinking has crept into many churches today. Health and wealth preachers try desperately to minimize the reality of suffering in the Christian life. They teach that suffering is simply the result of a weak faith. It's the result of poor economic choices. It's the result of a lack of prayer in your life, perhaps. Other false teachers would suggest that suffering is just an illusion. It's not really uh, something that the Christian should fear or think about. God will ultimately rescue us from suffering and from this world before any real tribulation occurs. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The biblical teaching, as, as, uh, as shocking as it might be, is this. Rather than being surprised by suffering, we're taught to meditate upon the cross of Jesus Christ and rejoice in our suffering insofar as we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Well, suffering and persecution are occasions for rejoicing for one main reason. And that's because we participate with we are bonded together with Christ by faith in everything that he has accomplished for us. Just think about some of the ways that we are connected to Jesus Christ by faith. We are linked together with him in justification and sanctification so that we are truly declared holy in the sight of God. We are united to Christ in glory so that right now, we reign with him above all powers and, 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 and powers of evil and above all of Satan's forces. Well, because we are united to Christ in all of these ways, Peter says, we are certainly linked or bonded together with him in his sufferings and in his death. Every time you suffer for the sake of Christ, you bear within you the dying of Christ so that Christ's resurrection life may also be revealed in you. So you see, it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a cause for deep rejoicing to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. There's another way that we can rejoice in our sufferings, and that is because Christ suffered perfectly in your place in order to bring you to God. And that means, brothers and sisters, that suffering is no longer a threat to you. Suffering is no longer a threat to you. Rather, it's a testimony of what Christ has already accomplished for you on the cross. It's also a promise of what he will do for you. Your suffering for Christ Jesus right now prepares you for the greater joy that will come when you see Christ face to face, when his glory is revealed. Verse 13 literally calls us to rejoice now that we share in Christ's sufferings so that one day we may be overjoyed, exceedingly joyful that we participated in the sufferings of Jesus. In fact, the participle used in the original language expresses the idea that we should be exulting, jubilating, skipping, and bubbling over with shouts of joy in suffering. In suffering. Because of the greater glory that is still to come for the believer. That's why the Apostle Paul, even while he was chained in a Roman prison, could say, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. By God's grace, 
and power. We can follow the example of Christ and his sufferings. We can rejoice in our momentary, temporary sufferings as Paul did, knowing that nothing compares to the even greater joy and glory that is still to come, which Christ has already accomplished for us through his own suffering. So it was a matter of joy, uh, but not surprise in suffering. This passage goes on secondly to show us another way that we can press on under suffering. He says we should suffer as a Christian unashamed, all the while praising and rejoicing in the glory of God. Look at verses 14 through 16. If you are insulted, Peter says, for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We should not be ashamed in suffering. Now, we might respond and say, oh, but that is very, very hard. When my co-workers joke and sneer at me because I hold my Christian principles closely and I seek to run an honest, godly business, it's hard not to feel ashamed when I'm mistreated. You may say, I don't like being treated as dirt when I refuse to use filthy language around my friends. And I refuse to run around with those who are not very wise or godly in their actions. You might say, I know I need to stand up for my Lord's Day commitments, but it's embarrassing to explain it to my boss, who just does not understand what it means to set aside the Lord's Day as holy. I might get fired. I might lose my security. None of us like to be regarded as an ignorant and naive, weak follower. Savior who's been rejected by the world. But look at what the Lord says to us today, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a beautiful, tremendous contrast that Peter makes here that, that should really give us great hope and strength in the midst of our suffering. Peter says to the saints, you may be treated very ingloriously. You may be disgraced for the sake of Christ. Suffering does not feel, nor does it seem glorious or blessed. But the reality of the matter is this, which we must see with the eyes of faith. That in suffering, God's very spirit, the spirit who is glorious and majestic and powerful and mighty, rests upon you in your suffering, even as he descended upon Christ himself. So in your sufferings, brothers and sisters, you experience the power of God and his intimate presence and his fatherly care, not his absence. Again, the beautiful contrast is this, that while great insults may be heaped upon us to shame us as Christians, Far more abundantly than that shame, the spirit of the glory of God bestows the glory of God upon you. The very glory connected with Christ is yours by the blessing of his Holy Spirit. And so you do not need to be ashamed in your suffering. 
But notice that the passage teaches that there is a very big difference between suffering as a Christian and suffering as an evildoer, a thief, or a meddler. It's only when we bear the name Christian and live as followers of Christ that we will truly suffer and truly be blessed. In our SHIELD youth group, we have been looking at what it means to bear the name Christian. We've noticed that it's an immense privilege, as Peter says, to bear the name Christian. We should not be ashamed in that and glorify God. We've also talked about the fact that, that calling ourselves Christians, bearing Christ's name, is a significant challenge as well. In S.H.I.E.L.D., we talked about the fact that in its earliest use, the label Christian was not chosen by believers for themselves. It was given to them to insult them. To insult them. In fact, the word Christian, you might be surprised to hear, only occurs on the pages of Scripture three times. And only here in 1 Peter 4 is it used by someone other than an enemy or an opponent of the Christian church. For example, in Acts 26, Herod Agrippa asked Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? He seems to be using this name, this badge, Christian, out of ridicule rather than respect. So why does Peter use this name for Christians, for believers, when he and then proceeds to urge them not to be ashamed? Well, he's teaching us that as bearers of Christ's name, as those who share in his sufferings, we will certainly be insulted. We will certainly suffer innocently, just as Jesus did. Because our identity is linked together with that of Christ, we can expect persecution. We can expect even death itself. For the true faith that we profess, which is represented in that hated name, Christian. The Lord calls us not to be ashamed. Though all manner of shame might be heaped upon us to shame us, to shame the gospel, and to shame our Lord Jesus. As many of you know, during the Second World War, the Jews were branded with the yellow star of David. It was given to them at the time as a, a symbol of hatred and scorn. The badge they wore said something about their identity. But today, because of what the Jewish people suffered during the Holocaust, the star has become rather a symbol of nationalism and pride. There's no more shame attached to that badge. So similarly, brothers and sisters, do not be ashamed to wear the badge Christian. Do not be reluctant to be so bound up and connected with Jesus Christ that his name becomes the badge or the marker by which unbelievers mock and scorn you. In all circumstances, praise him for the reality and the blessing that you bear the name Christian, that you belong to Christ, that you share in his very glory. Do not be ashamed. Give glory to God. Worship Him, even in suffering. Finally, you notice God calls us to endure suffering for Christ's sake with obedience rather than bitterness or anger. It is common. It is easy for us to fall into the temptation of becoming bitter 
during trials and suffering. We become so burdened uh, by our trial that we uh, no longer seek to live according to God's commands and His will. We become tired in the struggle. We look to others and other means of comfort and assurance than God Himself. But God's call to obedience comes with an important warning for the family of God here. Look at the at verses 17 to 19. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says that the period of God's judgment has arrived. The end of the age is near. Christ's return could take place at any time. And then he says something very shocking here. It's God's house, God's family, God's congregation, his church that's first in line for cleansing. The Christian congregation, he says, is where the lightning of God's judgment strikes first. But what kind of judgment is Peter describing here as it relates to the church? Well, in this context, you must notice that it is not punitive judgment, it's not punishment that's going to take place among God's people, those who truly love the Lord. Remember the promise of God's word in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so you can be assured, brothers and sisters, that if you are in Christ, if you are not united to him by faith this morning, there is no fear of punishment. And yet, Peter gives this warning. A warning that should cause each and every one of us to examine ourselves, to look deep within us, to know with biblical certainty that we are children of God. God's judgment does begin with us. But we cling to Christ by faith so that the judgment that is coming upon the world will not come to punish, but rather to cleanse us, as Peter says in chapter 1, so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold itself, may prove genuine and be result in the praise and the glory and the honor of God when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what a sweet comfort we have. What a great assurance we have that God doesn't execute his judgment of condemnation upon us as he does upon others. Instead, he marks us by his Holy Spirit. He, he brands us with the name of Christ. So when we suffer, we do it only for God's cause and for his glory. But listen to what else Peter says about suffering in this life. He says you must realize that our suffering now our momentary suffering is only a foretaste of the upcoming judgment of the world. And he emphasizes this by asking two questions. He asks basically in verse 17, if you and I as Christians, as believers, suffer this way now, what will happen to unbelievers on the last day? And again, if, if a righteous person is barely rescued, verse 18, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear on the last day? 
If even the people of God, if even the church needs cleansing and purification, how much more the ungodly who refuse to believe the message of the gospel, their judgment will be far greater. How is it, you wonder, that you and I will be scarcely saved? You must notice that scarcely saved doesn't mean barely saved. Scarcely saved doesn't mean barely saved. What Paul or Peter means here is that salvation comes for you and me as God's people in the midst of suffering. The process of sanctification is a bumpy road for the believer. Your life of suffering in this present evil age is precarious. John Calvin compares our Christian life and walk to a ship that is tossed to and fro on stormy waves between sharp rocks. He says it's hard for the righteous to be saved and that, and that the way to salvation is thorny and difficult for God's elect. Your course in this world is truly like sailing between rocks in the middle of the storm. Anyone who reaches port safely has escaped a thousand deaths. But your comfort, your assurance and your certainty as if you are guided on this tumultuous sea by the hand of God. You have no reason to fear that your soul will be shipwrecked by the trials of this life as long as you have Jesus Christ as your pilot and your captain. Yes, the course of the Christian life is hard. It's paved with potholes. It's lined with ditches. So again, how do we press on in faith and in obedience without becoming bitter or angry when the road is hard? And we suffer for the sake of Christ. How do we remain as believers exceedingly joyful rather than becoming angry and blaming God and others for our trial, just like a little girl blaming her parents because she's surprised by her pain after her first tooth pull? The answer comes in our passage in verse 19. You and I endure suffering. We remain joyful in the Lord because our souls have been entrusted to our faithful creator. You see, because your suffering lies within God's permission and will, dear saints of God, you can certainly rely on him for his protection in the midst of it. And so in faith, claim God's rule over your life. Actively trust him. Rely on his goodness and look to no other than God himself for a safe haven from the trials of this life. Trust in Christ, your Lord, because he alone gives you the power to live obedient, not bitter lives, so that you may continue to do good while you entrust yourself to God, just as Jesus did. 1 Peter 2.23 tells us that when evil men hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Obedience, not bitterness, is the fruit and the outcome of trusting God in the midst of fiery trials and sufferings. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, how should you press on? How should you press on persecution and suffering with great rejoicing 
and jubilation that you have been counted worthy of suffering with Christ himself because you have the guarantee of future glory. How should you press on in your suffering with praise and worship, not being ashamed of your sufferings? Because through those trials, you glorify God and Christ, your Savior. How do you press on in suffering with obedience rather than bitterness? Because God is preparing you. He's strengthening you to stand firm until your final deliverance from suffering when Christ comes again as Savior and Judge of the world. On that day, you can be assured that because you belong to Christ, you will be delivered from all suffering. And you will receive the crown of righteousness and peace. God in Christ has triumphed over Satan. He's triumphed over sin and death and evil and tragedy and anything that stands in the way of the gospel. God's strength and power has once and for all been made perfect in weakness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus says, it's finished. And your victory is assured. Even as you walk through the valley of death's dark shadow. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we sometimes troubled by this promise in your word that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer. And we expect, Lord, as we continue to live as Christians in a dark and a hostile world, that we will face a greater level of persecution in this world. We'll be reminded that this world in its present form is not our home, and that you have called us to suffer on your account. We suffer in many ways, Lord, beyond the the jeers and the maligning of our name as Christians. We suffer as we come under the burden of sin, as it pervades and affects every aspect of our lives. As we come up against unbelief, as we are grieved by the unbelief of our friends and family members, to experience pain and suffering. Uh, through death and through pain in our bodies. So, Lord, in all these things, we are reminded that the Christian life is a life of suffering. But we thank you that you have given us reason for abundant hope and everlasting joy. We can rejoice in our sufferings because you have purposed them to grow us in faith, to cleanse us from sin, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we praise you in the midst of our suffering. Lord, we, we're thankful that we do not need to be ashamed because you have promised that for those who bear your name faithfully, to us is the glory and the majesty and the power of God to sustain us in the midst of it. Thank you that we can press on in obedience and faith, not doubting your promises, not becoming bitter in the midst of our trials, but knowing that you have provided a place for us where we are spared judgment, spared from condemnation, ushered into the very courts of God to enjoy the glory that awaits the crown of righteousness that awaits for us. We thank you for these marvelous promises. We thank you that Christ has suffered in our place to bring us to God so that there is a, a sure end to our suffering when Christ returns. Sustain us, Lord, in the midst of our temporary sufferings. May we endure them in faith and in joy. We pray this in Christ's name.